man. Oh, we have so many things to talk about with this, uh, this essay. I was just texting with my friend Sean about it because, you know, he's like sort of the ultra. I don't know if it's an angel or a devil on my shoulder, um, mm. but I was like, my friend Marvin wrote a very long essay you might want to read. And he goes, yeah, I'd check it out. Is it about elections? Question mark. Because we were just <laughs> talking about elections. I'm like, uh, it's not not about elections, but it's about so many things. Yeah, it's about a so, lot more than just elections. So many. Yeah, things. yeah. Yes and no. Yeah. Oh my God! Did you guys? Okay, maybe this is a dumb icebreaker, but did you hear the new MIA single? No. No. I oh. haven't heard an MIA song since like. Whatever MIA song everyone pa- listens to. Paper Planes is one that, that, that is the I mean, I constantly still here. That is well, the only MIA song I've ever listened to. I was really excited when I saw that there was one, because I love MIA. She's kind of like, I don't know, she's kind of like the pop star for us. She's like... Mm. The pops, like, yeah, it's not her job to, like, understand shit deeply, all right? You don't want to fucking interview her for, like, labor notes or whatever. But, like, she's cool. She channels the zeitgeist in a vague way. She's subversive. She's got swag. Mm-hmm. Whatever. She's she's good, all right? I like her. Is that and, why she announced, like, I think I think I saw something today that she announced that she became a born-again Christian? Okay, yeah. So, I was getting to that. So, like, I clicked on, I was like, ooh, new MIA song. Cool. I clicked on the story and I saw that she became a born again Christian I was like what? Damn. Is that what's hot in the side guys right now? Christianity? I, she might have lost touch with I don't but it's crazy because like you know her whole thing is she's like a Sri Lankan you know freedom fighter hmm. or whatever and there is an uprising going on in Sri Lanka right now yeah. So you okay, would think, but but Jamie, here's the thing. Maybe what you said is still right because America is turning into a fascist country. Well, maybe, so she's channeling or, that zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. Also, too, like now, paper planes has to be about like. I don't know, like soaring to heaven and to po- a sense of a piety or something like that, you know, like wanting All to be with I Christ and God. Pray, 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 pray. Exactly. That's, that's the remix. Rosary and believe in God. I don't know. What do Christians do? You know, my, my dad just became a born again Christian not too long ago, but it's it's completely because he's 78 years old and he sees the sun setting. So this motherfucker <laughs> is like praying every day. Like wow. that when it's his time that he gets in the pearly gates. Yeah. So, so maybe, <laughs> Barbara, maybe why like weren't a, you there for him? Why weren't you there for him to show him the one true, one true God of Allah? No, we, we all have, we can it's all, there's no compulsion in religion. If you, uh, read the holy book, you would know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah you yeah. think that's going to be you someday? No, I had my I had yeah. my existential crisis when I was twenty and converted to Islam. Like I'm already on that train. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, you've Fair you've uh, you've already uh, you've solved or resolved your uh, conjuncture, I guess. Uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I fucking fasted this Ramadan. Wow. I still got drunk most of the days, but you know, baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> baby steps, yeah. You know, I'm I didn't religion. I didn't get drunk during sunset hours, and that's what matters. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Religion is made up so you can do whatever you want and it's fine. Yeah, That's yeah. my take. That is not only revisionism, it is also heretic. So Heret- heretical revisionism. <laughs> like, it's yeah, heretical all, revisionism. It's all made up to begin with, so you can do your own version of it, whatever you like to do. Yes, yes. It, 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 is, it is made up by the one true God. That's correct. <laughs> Allah, exactly. <laughs> the most high. Well, 
Uh, if we go down this road, that's all that this episode's going to be about. But um, It's funny because like, I will definitely go down this rabbit hole of like, Allah is the one true God with Jorge. And then I'll be like, but Jamie, we got to abolish religion. We, we, we have to abolish religion. Yeah. <laughs> Dialect, it's dialectics. Little, it's yeah. a little confusing, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, It's pretty straightforward. I'm here for the I'm here for the deep questions, you know. Marvin <laughs> is the land of contrasts. <laughs> Hello, okay. everyone. Are we doing the show? We, we are we've doing started. It. We've, we've started. started. That was how I tricked us into starting. You did. You eased us you into it. Didn't even Jamie. notice. Yeah. yeah, I've done this before. <laughs> so yeah, we're doing we're doing a show. Um, this other guy that you hear talking, obviously you know me by now if you've been listening. Uh, Jorge, Aaron. Hi. Hi. And this other guy that you hear talking is our friend Marvin Gonzalez. He wears pew, many pew, pew, hats. Pew, pew. Yes, he is. Uh, what, what's he doing? So many things. DSA, International Committee. He's the president of his fucking union. That's pretty the cool. The whole union, not the local. Yeah. The whole union. He's our friend. He's like one of my only DSA friends who I like hang out with outside of DSA. Um, Damn, Jorge, that's fucking dirty. Jorge's <laughs> another, obviously. <laughs> We're hanging out outside of DSA right now. Um, yeah, Jay, Jay, as I've mentioned multiple times on this show, I mean, Jamie keeps me locked under, in a closet. And, in the closet. Those, so, so, and I'm under, under under the thumb of her, of her oppression. So yeah. I guess you could say we do hang out outside the context of DSA. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was hoping that she was just like, Jorge, you need to know this is strictly professional. Yeah. <laughs> strictly professional. We are not friends. We're not friends. We when I let you out, it's only to record the podcast. That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, did I miss anything? I don't think so. We'll figure it out. Works in electoral politics. I do work in electoral politics. Mm. Yeah, we'll be like as circumspect about that as you want us to be. Don't want to get anyone in trouble. You know, it is it is public record. You can't hide it. So, but oh, um, all right, fine. Don't get me fired. Is all. And I mean, that's, that's my it, only ask. Is don't get me fired. Well, I think also too, it lends to your uh, uh, insights uh, into the piece. You know, because you actually have like electoral like experience in electoral work. You know. Yeah, so, uh, but, but 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 also, you know, to, what brings us to this episode and why Marvin's on is that in addition to all these hats, he also has the, the hat of political thinker. And he wrote this essay called A Prologogmina to Any Future Conjunctural Analysis. Did I get the name? Did they pronounce that right, Marvin? Sure. <laughs> sure. You're not going to trick me into, into trying to say it. You're the one that wrote the title. I think you know, the title I, I, is a pretty good I do want to get indication. into the title at some point because... It is a stupid title, well, and, I want, and I want everyone to know that I know that it's a stupid title. No, well, I okay, think explain, it's a good explain. title well, because it, it sets you up for what you're in for exactly. when you read this very long and dense essay. Yeah, well, so, well let, let's, touch, let's touch on it now. Like, you know, we'll explain why why pick this title, a prologogmnot of any future conjunctural analysis. Yeah, I, very, I'm not going to lie. Like, I had to Google that word. Yeah. I can't even so, pronounce that word. Go ahead, Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Prologamena. Um, so, first of all, I didn't. I didn't just write this. I, I wrote this with one of my good friends, uh, Fleischman. Uh, we've been long-term collaborators. We went to school together. Uh, we've known each other for like ten years, and like we are, you know, very much in sync on a lot of like theoretical questions, especially our like our interest in 
in Gramsci and Pulances. Uh, we were both like political philosophy kids in undergrad. I actually dropped out of um, school, which I'm very proud of. Mm. Uh, unlike him, who's a dumb uh, master student now. So, um, so sucker. Yeah. What is he doing? And then, uh, yeah, you're you're a proud double dropout, right? Yeah. yeah. I also dropped out of high school. So what up? Hell yeah. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> My, my goal is to get into a PhD program like uh, Rodinger, uh, who wrote like uh, how the Irish became white, but drop out before I finish the dissertation too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's like yeah. a boss move. Yeah, yeah. drop exactly. out three P. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, what's it, what's it called in soccer when you do it? Uh, hat trick. A hat trick. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so we wrote this thing together. Uh, and originally, like it was a, it was a, it's a response to something. It's a response to an article that came out uh, in Spectre magazine by Warren Montag, right? And when we wrote this, and we, who, who is Warren Montag for those who are listening that don't know? So Warren Montag is probably one of the like maybe top two or three uh, Althusserian scholars, at least in English, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably more in French that I don't read because Ooh, I, I never bother to learn that. You love Althusser. Yeah. Hell yeah. I, I have like, right in front of me, there's like four Althusser texts staring at me. So wow. um, definitely a big Althusser fan. Uh, Warren Montag uh, is a big hero of, of mine and I would probably say a Fleischman too because he is a really creative interpreter of Althusser. Um, but also very rigorous. Um, so we wrote this thing, and our initial intent was to get it published, right? To like try to maybe even get Spectre to publish it as a response, right? But in order mm. to do that, it probably should have been around like six pages, right? Mm. So we wrote 54 pages, and then we spent like a month being like, how do we edit this down? And then we decided that we weren't that we weren't gonna that we couldn't really. Um, so we were like, fuck it. Like, we, we can't be normal. We can't just write a, a six-page response. No one's ever going to read this fucking 54-page essay. Let's give it the most fucking pretentious. Um, let's, like, let's go all in on this. Let's yeah. give it the most pretentious title we can think of, uh, which is a reference to, and, and Jorge knows this. He's also a former philosophy kid. That's true. It's a... It is a. It's just like a reference to Kant. He he. Kant wrote uh, the prolo, Prolegomena to uh, any future metaphysics. Right, which he which he wrote as a kind of for those that don't know, uh, you know, Kant is most famously known for this incredibly long and complicated text, uh, critique of pure reason, and he wrote which is a the, banger. Which is a banger. You should read it. Yeah, I agree. But I definitely it, read that at college, but I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I definitely read that in my first year of college. <laughs> Do yeah, not remember. But, but 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 point being is like th- this is a this this companion piece he wrote the prologue to any future metaphysics as a almost as a companion piece to this work and uh, that's why it's like to any future metaphysics is because of trying to like well, at least from the point of view of Kant to lay the groundwork of any future kind of discussions on the subject so mm-hmm. this is so that's why it's pretentious the title. It's and it's both pretentious, but it's also absolutely serious too, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like we when we were writing this, we we realized that part of the reason that it took so long to get to the fucking point was because there was so much that we needed to kind of clear out of the way. Mm. So you know, a, a prologamena is really just a fancy word for a, 
a prologue for something that's a, a, te- a philosophical test as opposed mm-hmm. to like a, a fictional text or something like mm-hmm. that or prose. So we were like, we can't even really get to some of the points that we want to make because we have to kind of backtrack. We have to kind of set the the stage here. We have to we have to start with kind of uh, you know a prefatory uh, remarks. Yeah, and I think too what you what you do very well is that by setting it up by responding to Montag's piece, you also set up definitions and the parameters for the discussion instead of kind of obfuscating, I guess, or confusing or blurring language to kind of muddy the waters. You know, you're very specific in your definitions and your response, which I really appreciated reading it because I don't know. I think that like. When people talk about like theory and what's the purpose of theory, and I had never heard of a uh, conjunctural analysis or anything like that, right? But you kind of like by kind of defining it and shaping it uh, against Montag's, I think that it, I don't know, it's just it's useful and productive, I think, for the left. You know, you know, I think it's really funny that we kind of started bullshitting around with a talk about like MIA because we were talking about of the psych guys, right? And one of the things that like this text tries to do is I, I feel at least in my organizing experience we're starting to hear the word the conjuncture more and more right people talk about the conjuncture but when they talk about the conjuncture it's really just they just mean like the moment right the sight guys the yeah, and that's definitely how I have heard it used and perhaps used it myself but what is it really well I mean I'm not here to like kind of I guess, like, I, I don't really care that people, we, like, words change meanings. I don't care about that, right? Like, I, I think it's fine. Um, but I think when we're as Marxists, I think we should have, we need to be more precise when we're talking about, like, kind of theoretical things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a zeitgeist, I think, you know, it, for me, it feels more like what Raymond Williams would call, like, a, a structure of feeling, right? That, that the way that the this moment produces... Uh, kind of shared collective emotional experiences for people. Uh, uh, so he, Raymond Williams talked about that. It's called the structure of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we kind of, what we want to say is like a conjuncture really isn't that. A conjuncture is not about how people relate to the moment or feel about the moment. Um, it's not about a shared experience in that sense. So mm-hmm. what is it? So a conjuncture is, you know, it's it. We we do a lot of like slippery in the a lot of slippery stuff in the in the essay. We begin with with Gramsci, right, um, and we talk about kind of some of his analysis of of organic conditions versus conjunctural conditions, right? Um, and to what's happening here is there are kind of like a lot of people kind of being uh, referred to in, in this text. One, there's Gramsci. Two, there's um, there and three there is uh, Stuart Hall right mm. and Gramsci kind of laid out a lot of the foundations to thinking about and and, and, and these th- these three people are typically used as like a like the the most the most important like uh, I guess mid-century forward Marxists and the, the youth a lot of yeah. academic thinking and they kind of they kind of you know there's kind of a, a sequential order here right like uh, Gramsci came in the you know Mid 30s, um, Althusser started writing in the late 40s, early 50s, mm-hmm. and and Stuart Hall uh, around the same time. But Stuart Hall um, lived longer than Althusser. Mm-hmm. He lived um, into the 90s, I believe. So um, Stuart Hall was responding very like thoughtfully to a lot of stuff that uh, Althusser was writing about. Um, so you know, I, I I'm saying this because I don't think we're using any sort of definition of like conjuncture that like. Gramsci used or um, 
Stuart Hall used, were like probably closest to Alcacer, but we're trying to like invoke them to be like, what was, why did they try to think about, why did they use these concepts to think about their moment? Um, you know, for, for Gramsci, one of the important things, and there's a really great text that I, I would recommend everyone read, which is Gramsci and Us. Uh, you can, it's free, you can read it on Verso, it's by Stuart Hall. You know, I don't agree, I think I don't agree with a lot of the conclusions that he comes to, but it's a very generative piece um, that allows to like think through a lot of things. And one of the things he says is the reason that Gramsci is like, thinking about the conjuncture is because the fundamental like Marxist analysis uh, and kind of political theories were wrong or, or mm. they weren't and they weren't wrong because they were like innately wrong they were wrong because in practice they proved to be wrong and um, Gramsci kind of lived through the moment of that transition right he he was alive in the moment when there was like a real industrial uh, group of people who were uh, becoming powerful and feeling kind of their 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 destiny to like kind of overthrow capitalism right uh, and, and that was a real possibility like a real kind of uh, industrial overthrow of capitalism by the workers um, in the early you know 19th in the early 20th century right like mm. World War one the Bolsheviks um, you know, all of the other struggles in Germany, in Italy, like it was real. Like the, the classical Marxist paradigm seemed like inevitable. Mm. And then fascism happens and it's no longer inevitable, right? It, it, it's something has shifted, right? It doesn't feel as the Marxist problematic actually speaks to us anymore um, or spoke to him. So part of what he was doing is to Stuart Hall. No, this is Gramsci. Gramsci, this is, okay. Yeah, this is Gramsci. So part of what he's doing is like, fuck, something has has changed, right? Um, and how can we account for that change through a Marxist lens, right? Mm. Um, and part of what he's trying to do is trying to think about like, what is the conjuncture? Like, we have kind of the organic conditions, right? Which is like the relatively permanent part of capitalism, right? We have like a mode of production, we have division of labor. Mm -hmm. There's there are certain things that are like kind of the same, even even to this moment, right? We would say that like for the most part, there is some sort of continuity between what Marx described as capitalism and what we experience as capitalism, right? Yeah, for sure. There, there's an, an organic kind of those are kind of the organic conditions. However, there are conjunctural conditions too, right? Which mean that change the chain kind of how those things are structured that are emergent because of real political uh, consequences that, that aren't as easy as being like, oh, we got to go back to the other moment, right? We got to go back. Yeah. We have to find where we went wrong. It's like, actually, we have to now adapt to this new world that um, that is emergent as a consequences of all of our political actions and our, and our political failures as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of why we invoke Gramsci because I think that is an important part, I think, of... The, our materials analysis of being Marxist, right? It's like, we want to be Marxist, we want to be really like um, rigorous Marxist, but we can't just apply, uh, and this is something Stuart Hall says, right? Like we can't just apply the Marxist text like that they're like they're the uh, Old Testament, right? Yeah, like it's um, not a one size fits all kind of thing, right? And I think too, well, in your in your piece, the, what helped me kind of understand this idea of conjuncture is when people talk about fascism, um, and they kind of 
pluck it out of like European fascism, right, in the 20th century, mm-hmm. and pluck it into like the United States in the context of Trump and uh, this this n- this nascent right that's using sort of these paramilitary shock troops, right, but also the sort of um, minoritarian politics and parliamentarianism that we're seeing with elected officials, right, and that really helped me understand that because I don't know, like we are very much stuck in the past in terms of our thinking where we. Instead of kind of updating like our analysis, we look at historical examples, which, you know, as human beings, it makes sense. But you can't really do that. And I don't think that's productive in terms of the shifting terrain and knowing how to respond to, you know, to rising fascism or threats from liberals as well. Well, there are things it makes sense for and things it doesn't make sense for. Right. Hence the sort of distinction that Myron makes between uh, organic and conjunctural which are two definitions that I have had to hold in my head while reading because I tend to forget. Um, well, the good thing is that as Althusserians, you know, part of what we do is we're like, that got us here, but actually that distinction doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, like, we we're going to toss kind of it out. And, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It allowed us to think something, and now that we've thought it, forget all that. All so, that. So, wow. it's, so, so it's basically like an instrumentalist approach to knowledge, right? In the sense that just because a certain con- concept make, arrive, made you arrive to a certain conclusion where we are, that doesn't mean it's to continue to be useful. Is that right? I think it's more that there are certain things in the Marxist you know, project that are very productive ways of thinking that they're most productive when they get you to a point where you say, actually, the way I'm posing this question is wrong, right? That's mm-hmm. really the real nature of ideolog- ideological struggle. So, it's not really about giving new answers to things. It's about posing oh. questions in a different way. So, uh, so, so scientific. Yeah. <laughs> So, so this is why uh, is that so when you're in terms of in terms of like the uh, the way that the question is posed, then this is kind of like some people tend to use the word problematic of like not not in the exact adjective but as in a noun that the problematic the way that the question is phrased is wrong. Is that what you mean by that? Right, and yeah, okay. and, and and this is what for also Sayer, which is the position that I think we're closer to, like the conjunctural analysis that Gramsci proposed it got him to the point where he recasted the question of like conjunctural analysis to like the, the political problematic, right? Mm. Um, and that and, it, and it's a little bit of a shift, but it still has a lot of the same concerns. It just poses the question in a, in a kind of a different way. Kind of the same way where Althusser was really intrigued by the distinction between base and superstructure mm. and ultimately said it was untenable, right? Mm. The, they're very generous, uh, uh, they, they generate a lot of thinking, but ultimately cannot be thought through completely. They kind of have to, there has to be a Gordian knot moment where you okay. kind of re- recast what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I understood most of that. Um, before we move on to the meat of the essay, I think uh, a quote that might maybe be clarifying for listeners is when you say, uh, a specific conjuncture only arises when the existing social order encounters a problem that threatens its existence, but which it cannot resolve itself. Which makes me think we are definitely at a specific conjuncture right Mm -hmm. now, given the current omni-crisis we are facing of COVID, supply chain issues, uh, inflation, climate change, climate change, change, uh, uh, law and order uh, fetishization. Like yeah, like everyone's quitting their jobs and the demand for labor. Terrorism. 
is yeah. high, but somehow people like still don't have any money. Like I feel like this moment qualifies. And and like, you know, the people in charge of managing the global capitalist economy uh have not yet demonstrated any ability to solve these issues, these problems. Hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a lot there. I, 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 you know, I think part of this essay is that we live in a very specific conjuncture. Um, I'm not sure that any of those things are like things that like cannot be overcome by capitalism, right? Um, really? I, I, I think you know one of the. I think I think it was. Engels I think was I agree. Like, I think I agree with you, Marvin. Engels is like yeah. one of the fundamental features about capitalism is that like it can jump over. It's it's constitutive uh, obstacles, right? Uh, I think when I think about a conjuncture, I, I want to be specific about um, it being kind of a political problem, right? Mm. Uh, and not necessarily like a problem of the economy, of like because um, we, we, we there's definitely a bunch of crises that are happening right now, right? But a conjuncture isn't necessarily a crisis, right? It's it's a it's a political kind of problem which. A lot of all, all of our other problems are circling around. Hmm. So, so, so Marvin, to, what? Sorry, to, go to ahead. To shift it really quick, the the, mm-hmm. the, the shift that that kind of Althusser does from conjuncture to political problematic is like a problematic is what is the framework which makes all of these things make sense, right? And 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 the what is the framework which allows us to ask these questions, and what is the framework which makes other questions just like unthinkable, right? Um, so what's the political thing that is kind of at the root of this? And it's a very hard thing because, you know, it's overdetermined. It's hard to kind of get at, at, at what the fuck is going on at any given point. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so then, Marvin, if, if I could ask, then, can you, could you then kind of clarify what this conjuncture what this moment of conjuncture that we're at now because Jamie kind of like hinted at it and implied it with all these the omni crises that we've been dealing with right and that have been building right really not just dealing with since COVID but have been building um so talk about that a little bit and talk about how it manifests itself in terms of uh liberals and their response as well as what the right is doing now because there definitely seems to be like as you say in the piece this moment of crisis, but both sides, I guess, are as of yet unwilling to do away with sort of liberal bourgeois like electoralism, right? So far, at least, that's what it seems like. But the right seems to have an answer to that, but liberals don't. Could you talk about that a little bit more? You know, I think I think that the liberals do have an answer to it, and mm. I think that's part of what the text was getting at. We can talk about that later. And I think one of the important things that, that, that we say is even though like the the political problem can't be resolved meaning that shit's just going to keep happening problems are just going to be continue to arise doesn't mean that it can't be managed right mm-hmm. so part part of what uh, the ruling class does is not necessarily resolve the conjuncture right um, it manages the conjuncture right it manages the political problems another thing i would say is that like this is, I, I'm not like a vulgar universalist, right? Like, I don't think that the conjuncture of the United States necessarily is the conjuncture of, you know, the UK. If anything, that's the, the text kind of states that, like, they were living in different kind of conjunctural problems, right? Um, that were specific to their systems, um, that were specific to the sense of temporality that they were living in. So, so when we're talking, even though we're like living in this kind of globalized era, I still think it's important to remember that 
what we're talking about here is the specificity of the political problems that are happening in the U.S. Regarding regarding uh, the section in, in in your in your in your article, Marvin, there's a really good uh, what I think you start to you know before that you started getting beginning to give definitions and context of what is it that you mean in terms of conjunctural analysis and the conjuncture and also the piece that you're responding to. I think where the piece starts to kind of come into its own in terms of starting to get you're getting closer to the point is this section the what you call the long crisis democracy and you know, I'm going to read from from the from the, this big first paragraph in it that I think really does a good job of trying to reconceptualize our current conjuncture as you describe uh, it's quote for a moment let us assume that the conjuncture we are in is in a crude sense actually a two and a half centuries long crisis of representation initiated by a counter-revolution of elites against the revolutionary classes after the American Revolution the result of which was the replacement of the Articles of Confederation with the 1779 Constitution this Constitution of elites representing the planter class in the south industrialists in the north and coastal banking interests was for a moment able to overcome their own antagonisms for the sake of national unification. The dangers of their own revolutionary classes made all the more urgent because of the uprising of the small holding agricultural classes along the Western territories and out of fear of foreign powers making their own claims on the continent. The solution these elites arrived at, what gave them dominance over the crisis, was the creation of an anti-democratic, yet democratic in name, constitution that mutually ensured that each faction of the elites can resist political incursion, not just from each other, but more importantly, from the revolutionary classes within their various domains. For it is not just that the constitution is anti-democratic, what it was, in fact, was an inspired and durable instrument for class war. Hell yeah. I love this part because fuck the constitution. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's like a long telescopic like kind of view of like why we are where we are now. Yeah, I mean, and all props to to my bud Fleischman here. Like he is uh, a a much better like history nerd that I am. This is this was really like kind of us talking and him having such a good sense of like American history uh, that really fleshed this out. Um, and to give kind of context, right, like we're, we're talking about Warren Montag, whose like central premise is like the left is not doing enough to fight the fascist. We are having there's a democratic crisis and the, and the left is not taking this threat to democracy seriously. Um, the part before this, we're like, well, like, is Warren Montag even doing a good conjunctural analysis? And we're like, well, and this is kind of where it turns into like a piece on method, right? We're like, what's the right way of doing this kind of work? I guess we have to do it ourselves, right? Let's let's give a bunch of examples of how to do this. Um, so if the problem is a problem of democracy, then let's look at the founding of the republic, right? Mm. Let's start there. Um, and it's very clear that, you know, and and this is also because there, there's a bunch of you know uh, writers, journalists who who have pointed to this. This is not a novel thing we've created, mm-hmm. right? Like a bunch of people uh, have been like the, the root of the, uh, the root of uh, the anti-democratic things that we're seeing here are rooted in the very founding of the republic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we we kind of went back and we looked at it, and and we started 
that as a basis, right? And one of the things that was important here is that this was a solution to something, right? This was, if anything, so this was like a, if anything, this was a conjunctural solution. Uh, there was a... There was With a all the contradictions that, that existed right. in that or early Or manage them in any case, because mm. as we know from reading Lenin, the bourgeois state cannot ever actually resolve these contradictions. It can only manage them. They can only be resolved by revolution. Indeed. Well, I, 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 get, I think big picture, yeah, I agree with that. But I think part of the, the conjunctural analysis is that like actually certain conjunctures can be resolved. Um, and they just lead to different contradictions, right? Like right. you're not resolving, you're not resolving the contradictions at the heart of, you know, class society. But you are, you can kind of resolve certain contradictions within the way that politics is being framed at any given moment, right? Um, and there was kind of a a resolution in in this compromise that resolved kind of the tensions between the uh, you know the aristocratic class, the the, the emerging you know uh, bourgeois class, the even like further emerging um, worker class, and this and the peasant class. Right. This did this this did create a new situation. Right. The the abolition of the the, the aristocratic order was a very new solution, which still haunts Europe, you know, in a yeah. lot of ways. Like, the yeah. UK is still, like, fucked up by, by having... It's still the House of Lords. Right. Um, so, so if in a way, this, this is... This document, the founding of the Republic, in a real way, leads us to a new conjuncture. There is something new happening here. Um, and by new, it means that we are now no longer uh, circling the, the same um, problems that we had, you know, before... The founding of the republic. There are new problems now that are emerging that are that are unique to this conjuncture. So then, question: I, if America was always a fake democracy and kind of fash, which I agree with, um, how do we conceptualize these seemingly new challenges to democracy that have arisen? You know, like uh, one example being the Jan Six people mm -hmm. trying to overturn the results of even right. this like fake bourgeois democratic election. Like, do does this development matter? And is that is like is is it an important distinction? Is it a distinction without a difference? And is there ever a scenario where it makes sense for the left to defend one of our enemies, say, you know, liberal democracy, the bourgeois state, uh, against another one of our enemies, you know, the people who want to take it all the way back to some kind of fascist authoritarianism. Does it ever make sense for us to defend one of our enemies against another in this three-way fight that we're in? I guess that's like two or three questions, <laughs> but whatever. I I, I will I will answer all of them by cutting the Gordian knot and recasting this this whole problematic right. Um, oh boy. I, I think here and this is kind of where this is why we have so many sections right. We're like Montag gets this wrong. Montag gets this wrong. Montag doesn't understand the conjuncture. Doesn't understand conjunctural analysis. Doesn't understand DSA. And importantly, doesn't understand the right. Yeah. I, I, uh, real quick, Marvin, and for those who aren't listening, a very important aspect of this of this of this. Article and what Montag is responding to is a belief that DSA is, for lack of, whether you agree with it or not, the only large enough organization that can do change in America that is a left wing organization. Hmm. So, so then, so, what? so part of what we do is like we 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 try to like engage with people who 
study the right very seriously and understand how they kind of conceptualize themselves, right? And w one of the things that you will do is these people are not people who are like, let's install the, a new fear. These people, they think of themselves as freedom fighters. They're yeah. not here to overturn democracy. They're here to save democracy yeah. from, from the liberals who have stolen it. You know, regardless of whether you think that's not correct, that's how they understand themselves. Yeah. This is, this is, that's not an anti-democratic impulse. Uh, do you really what? think they all really believe? I feel like some of them believe that they're defending like uh, bourgeois democracy, and others that's just kind of a front. Well, I don't know if they're. I think I think to Marvin's point, I don't think they're, they believe they're defending bourgeois democracy. They're, they believe they're defending this democracy. Yeah, they yeah. believe like whatever the myths of America that they, this mythology of America, like that's like truly like what they believe in. You know, like I mean, oh, well, I think. This is Go ahead, go ahead, Jamie. Sorry. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, this is what I'm referring to when I say mm. bourgeois democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, but I think, let's, let's be more specific, right? What they, are, what they think of themselves as doing is that, actually, this election was stolen by the liberals. Uh, there's no way Trump could not have won, um, right? Uh, so this was actually the liberals stole this. So they're here... They're not here to overturn democracy. They're here to, to reestablish democracy, right? To They're refounding the republic. Yeah. So, so this idea that the left sees of the right as like this like fascist kind of or, or really self-consciously fascist um, mm -hmm. body that is trying to overturn the republic is just not reflective of, of how they understand themselves, right? Well, That's not what's going them. on. They, I mean, you're talking the piece about how there's like lots of different conflicting factions within the right that have still managed to cohere into a coalition somehow to own the libs and the left like over and over and over again like i think the people mounting like legal challenges to try to overturn the election they know what the fuck they're doing and i think you know some of the people probably like some of the dummies who uh did the the Capitol Hill Bay of Chuds or whatever. Like, they really did think that they were defending democracy, but that doesn't mean that that's what they were actually doing. So, like, how should the left respond to that? Like, is it ever a good idea for us to try to preserve this fake democracy from becoming even less democratic? Or... Is that sort of a waste of our energy and resources? I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think that the U.S. is a fake democracy. Like, that's kind of a little bit reductive for, for what I think. I think that the, the, the republic is an anti-democratic democracy. Mm. Um, okay. Right? Well, um, that seems pretty similar. I'm a summarizer and a popularizer, so you're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> Understood. Like, I want people to know what's in your essay, mm -hmm. so that's why we're doing this podcast. No, I know. I'm just saying. So, I just think when you're saying it's, I think when you say it's a fake democracy, the the emotional response to that is why why protect something that's fake, right? Yeah. So I would I would say I think it's important for me to say that I don't think it's a fake democracy, and as a result, there is actually something valuable in making sure that we preserve whatever is democratic in 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 the in the current system, right? Um, because if it, if it was completely fake, then then yeah, like fuck it, like let's fucking burn it all down, right? Well, and I don't think that's that's not actually there. Are, there are important parts of, of the the democratic order, and more importantly, um, there are ways to change democracy, right? Like we live in we live in these periods of crisis because real threats 
to this anti-democratic nature of the republic have emerged that that could have possibly changed it right um so like the what? fact that they're um the you know part of it is the we talked about this during you know uh, uh, during the gilded age right the emergence of, of new parties of mass mm. parties right uh that was a threat right. to like the populist of, party i think there was one of them Right. Um, and, and that was managed very specifically when we go that in the text. It's managed by um, it was managed by uh, very specific rules about um, how to like get on the ballot, you know, uh, what qualifies, like things that are just unheard of anywhere else on the planet that has mm. a bourgeois democracy. Right. Um, but the important thing is that that's a reaction to to an actual kind of movement that could have changed things, right? Uh, you see the same thing in Reconstruction, uh, you know, pr previously, right? Reconstruction, uh, the Reconstruction period was a change, was a, a moment mm -hmm. where uh, the ruling class did fear uh, a refounding of the Republic, right? Uh, you see this again in kind of in the 60s, where, where uh, mm -hmm. uh, even even if a mass party wasn't on the agenda, right? Like socialism was. You see it. You see it in during FDR, right? Where where the the New Deal has to kind of do a compromise because a workers kind of revolt is really on the agenda. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not just that it's not fake. It's that there are actually very real ways um, historically where uh, a democratic, a new democratic order could have come from the system. Like, okay, uh, well, democracy is not foreclosed, in my ca opinion. Ca counterpoint, though, like they have workers' parties in many European countries, for instance, and elsewhere around the world. But the far right is still making gains there as well, electorally, in the streets. The left just keeps getting owned. Uh, and when a workers' party does manage to win an election, despite all the odds being stacked against it... Uh, do, do, do you mean like in the U.S. or in other countries? Other in, in other countries. countries. I don't know if that's true all, generally. All over the place. I don't know if that's uh, true. Latin America right now, that's not true. I mean, the right controls... Don't make me think of specific examples. <laughs> dead right now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean Bolsonaro make a generalization, in, in Brazil. We got... Uh, the I mean, look, I think Macron is just barely going to squeak out a win versus mm -hmm. Le Pen in France. Uh, we've got, I think you referenced Orban, Marv. Am I right about that? Or is that something else that I read? Mm. Anyway, there's like sort of a nationalist international forming to oppose. Uh, yeah, yes, there is also like a left populist uh, movement rising as well, uh, especially in Latin America. But... Even when the workers' parties do win uh, elections, some, they often wind up being the administrators of austerity. I mean, the classic example is Syriza in Greece, um, but there are many, many others that I can't think of right now. So, like, how, what would it do? What do you think it would do? Yeah, we, we, lost, we lost our oh, shit. shit. I think we lost them like a minute ago. My oh, no. question was too good. God damn! He just okay. had to. We have to wait. To go, he had wait. an Irish goodbye on this. No, one. I think I think I think he lost the internet. He's lost connection. Yeah. Damn it. Um, well, I guess we'll find out in a second. Classic okay. Marv. Hold on. <laughs> he texted me. His internet broke. Give me a second. Oh, okay. Ooh, my question broke the internet. Your question was too good, Jamie. Now I gotta ask it again. No. Okay. Oh no, he's back now. Okay. Hey. Cool. 
All right. Did Sorry you hear the back. whole question? Because I really don't want to try to say it again. The last thing I heard was Jorge being Latin America. Okay. Oh, you right, right. hear a yes, yes. of it. Certainly, there are left populist parties that have won victories as well in Latin America, but also big, big old, big old right wing movement winning elections all over the world. Uh, and you know, not to mention when the workers' parties do win, they often find themselves in an impossible bind because they still have to manage a capitalist economy in a world market, in a world system where they often do not have a ton of power to stand up against the, the ravages of, I don't know, the World Bank or the EU or whoever is enforcing austerity on that particular country, that particular place. Uh, like the classic example is Syriza in Greece. Obviously, they, uh, mm -hmm. they, Greece got fucked. Like they ran on a platform of uh, of Grexiting, and then oh, guess what? Now we're administering austerity. So like, what what guarantee? Like, why do you what do you think a workers' party could do uh, in the U.S. or elsewhere that is, that that would evade some of these problems next time around? I, I mean, feel like I the burden of proof is the person saying that the Workers' Party is going to make a difference at this point. Again, it's like make a difference for for what, right? Like I don't, I don't think. Make that a the sorry, I should have been more specific. Make a difference towards moving the ball towards communism, which is what we all want. Mm -hmm. So I guess in that sense, I would say that I, I think that. Sarisa, like the the not Sarisa, but the experience of Sarisa, right? The the movement that led to Sarisa is closer to moving the ball uh, than than anything that the U.S. ever has, right? Like I I I think that Venezuela is closer to the to to communism, right? Like so, the problematic here isn't about how do we found socialism, right? Like that's not that's not the issue here, right? When when we're talking about resolving things, we're not we're not talking about how we're building capitalism. We're talking about how can we um, how can we move our political development to somewhere new where we're not just kind of fighting the same fights over and over again. Uh, you know, I think if we got to a moment where the workers movement uh, came to power and failed to, you know, uh, to found socialism, that would be such an amazing development that we're nowhere near close to. So like if it's moving the ball, then that's how you move the ball, right? Like um, this is not a guarantee that a workers party will 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 found socialism. Um, and I think part of what we're doing with conjunctural analysis is like, let's be very specific when we engage with certain problems, right? Like um, you can say we've had workers parties that like have failed, right? But that doesn't really tell us anything, right? Like that's the whole point of conjunctural analysis. It's like we have to think about what are the specific conditions in that moment, right? Syriza as, you know, Syriza Greece as a kind of, you know, Honestly, like a semi-periphery country in Europe, yeah. right? One of the one mm. of the along with Portugal, one of the ones that can be considered semi-periphery. Um, they have they they were under pressures of like you know of of the imperialist core within their own bloc, right? There are very specific conditions to why they failed. Um, the Workers' Party isn't, and you know, just and those conditions are very different to the reason why Venezuela is very in a really rough spot right now, right? Um, they're not, but they're but they're all really different, and I think we have to think about what those conditions are, and kind of 
how to be strategic as like, I, you know, I'm not a theorist, right? Like I'm an organizer. Um, what I want to do is think about what these problems are in their specificity so that we're not just like kind of giving these very big, you know, like, you know, prescriptions to what we need to do. Like we need permanent revolution. Like, sure. Okay, bro. Um, mm. You know, I, I agree <laughs> with that, but like, what does that mean? You know, what, what are, what is the, what is programming that so, you're offering? So, 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 and a so, program has to come from the conditions of of the the polity, right? Um, so yeah. Well, so, but so you are sort of recommending a workers' party in the U.S. I am. I am. I. It does I, seem I, you're making I some recommendations. I am making that recommendation, but more importantly, I think I'm saying that only there are two things that could solve the conjuncture. One of them being a workers' party, the other one being straight-out fascism, which I mm. feel that is not really likely, right? Because if the if, if the crisis of the conjuncture is a crisis of representation, a way to resolve the crisis is by completely de de demolishing representation, right? By completely abolishing any pretense of of the bourgeois order. Um, but why would why would people want that when? This kind of semi-democracy works so well for the capitalist. Like minoritarian democracy. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's the impetus for the ruling class to abolish democracy when they're already getting what they want under the semi under the semi-democratic system? So, so then let me ask you a question, then Marvin. So then, and. And so then, like, in the kind of shadow, I guess, which is not shadow, I guess, because it's, I think those currents are still there, but of the January 6th capital, uh, capital riots, in that sort of context, then, like, what what do you think that the left, because you talk a lot about DSA in your piece as well, and you are DSA organized, what do you think that DSA can do as a sort of, um, I don't even know, I guess, burgeoning workers' party, like this proto sort of, at least sort of making moves in electoral work as well as sort of the organizing on the street and the communities that they do, how, how do you think that they can actually kind of, um, uh, uh, I guess, win out against um, fascism, which, which, or I guess actually ask you a better question then, what does fascism then look like, right? Post-Trump, and then how does DSA deal with these elements, right? If fascism is not going to be outright and out overt, right, because the capitalist class would rather kind of continue to do this minoritarian rule and sort of rely on this bourgeois liberal democracy, then what, is, what does post-Trump look like? What does the fascist movement look like? And what is DS, how does DSA respond to that? I think, I think what we, we are saying is that there's actually there's two ways that kind of this looks like and one of them is one of the things or three ways one of them that we're saying is fascism for us is actually like abolishing the constitution abolishing the all of the 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 pretenses of bourgeois liberal mm -hmm. democracy right that to us is is fascism it has to mean a, a straight up real dictatorship right? pretty standard um, definition right like we're talking about a fucking junta here right mm. um so what, what we're seeing actually is intensifying authoritarianism but within the bourgeois order mm. and what we're seeing it is both a, a right version of this right we have it with you know the minoritarian rule of the uh, of the Re republican party but we're also seeing it with the democratic party too right yes. that constantly does um that is more than happy to concede uh certain forms of democracy when it is not beneficial to them that is more than happy to like uh you know build a police state yes is, you know you know you talk right. about you talk about the 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 uprising right the main the main places where the uprisings happen right. They were in liberal cities. Uh, the, 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 the Democrats squashed one of the like 
um, most intense forms of like democratic kind of resistance, at least in my lifetime, right? Uh, this real organic uh, desire to see real democratic reform, that wasn't crushed by the Republican Party, mm. you know? And people, people talk about like, you know, we need to fight the right. Like who's fighting the Democrats who are, you know, killing uh, these these forms of resistance, right? Right. There, yeah. There's real authoritarianism developing um, amongst the Democrats. And, like, the example we use that is, like, fucking uh, our own mayor, Eric, whatever his face is. like Eric mm-hmm. Adams. <laughs> Eric Adams. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that to me is a, that to me is, like, uh, he's, he is... Terrifying. He's only, he's terrifying because he he's like the labor guy, right? Mm. You know, he got all of right. the labor uh, endorsements, right? He is he's, he's a also black the woke, guy. He's a yeah, black he's guy. guy. He's a woke he's black woke guy, guy, right? Yeah, he, he appealed. Yeah, like, yeah, he Go fucking ahead. the cops beat the shit out of him as a kid, right. and he was like. I'm going to become a cop and reform the system. Yeah, I know. And, and that's he ran on, on poli- And he ran on police reform. And he yeah. was actually known as a reformer in the police department. So he also had that shield of like, right. and and also I think, um, I think you might have mentioned in the piece, but it's like, you know, we, he wields this kind of shield of like, oh, I was, a, like when journalists ask him questions, he shuts down the press by saying, I want any one of you that are asking me questions to say, until you wear a this badge and wear a body a bulletproof vest, then don't don't be thinking you can ask me questions. Dude, hey. he's doing standpoint epistemology <laughs> it poll, but for cops. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Marvin, what you bring up too, it's so interesting is that the way that the language of reform always means giving the police more money, right? I mean, like I think we see this all the time. I mean, we just had like we've had two mass shootings within like the past week or so. But the one in Buffalo, right after that, the Democrats come out with this domestic terrorism bill, right? Which the Republicans don't support. And I want to ask you about that later, maybe. The Republicans not supporting that versus the Democrats supporting it are two like conflicting, competing interests that is very, very grim. But the Democrats are the ones pushing that shit, right? Like instead of actually like heeding, like defunding the police, what they say is that no, it's just that it's the individuals in the, in, in the institutions, right, that allow this to happen. And as long as we reform it and change it, like, it'll be fine, right? Yeah. Like, the Democrats protect, uh, sorry, the Democrats expand and, uh, and uh, legalize further the entrenchment of the police state where Republicans make up the police state and defend the police state. Mm. Right. Yeah, and the and Democrats kind of cast the police state as this defender of the, you know, liberal democratic exactly. world order against both the far right and the far left, mm-hmm. who they, you know, hate equally. But uh, unfortunately, the left is pretty fucking weak right now. So they really they claim they claim to hate equally. It's important to mention. That yeah. They claim that. <laughs> But that's that's a fair point as well. But like it does it does seem like the sort of uh, the liberal version of that is winning right now because I think I think you say in this piece I'm not mixing up with something else I'm very mixed up right now uh, like the number of January sixth uh, rioters that have been like arrested and prosecuted and shit like that. That, that was never going to succeed. Like, they're going to put that shit down right away, even if some of the police might have been sort of sympathetic to the, mm-hmm. the chuds, the chuds rioting. Mm. Well, one of, one of the things, the reason we bring that up is because one of the things that we say is actually it finally gave the Democrats an out. Um, 
the Democrats were like in a fucking shitty situation and they knew it, right? Like they they are like the woke party, right? They're the mm-hmm. party of multiculturalism. Um, and yet all of these resistance movements are happening in their own backyards, right? right. They're the ones putting it down. And they know this, right? Like they, they, they don't know how to fucking respond to it. They do their fucking Kunta Kente, like cloths oh my God, on, the, yeah. on, on the floor. They don't, they don't have a real response. And the reason they don't have a response is because, um, you know, in the 90s, the Democrats did adopt uh, a kind of a, a law and order um, right. kind of perspective. And over time, like, that looks horrible for them, too, right? Like, people mm-hmm. remember Hillary Clinton's super predator comments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they understand that they they can no longer just adopt the Republican uh, law. They can't be better Republicans. They can't be right. better, so, quote, better Republicans. I think it's how you put it in the piece. Right. Except now you have terrorists. Now you have domestic terrorists, right? And so they can finally reform, they can finally do law and order shit, right? This like authoritarian police state shit. They can finally do it and they can do it woke because what they're <laughs> doing is that they're protecting the republic. They're protecting the republic from dem- from, from terrorists. Um, the anti-democratic republic. Right. They're, they're, they, we need the police. The police cannot be, the police have to like fight the, the terrorists within our own um, mist, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this horrible like system just emerging where like the, the far right becomes more anti-democratic, more built on minoritarian rule, and the and then the de- Democrats just embrace a more and more police state, right? Yeah. Those are those are the options that we have. A police state where you get, you know, where like the, the cops have like um, LGBT rainbow colors mm-hmm. or like, you know, um, or just straight up uh, militia intimidation at the voter polls uh, amongst the right, right? Yeah. That's, that's the situation it, we're in. It was interesting to see all the libs on social media who had like BLM in their profiles mm-hmm. or whatever, who were like saying like rad Libby things during the uprising mm. about how, oh yeah, the police are bad, Black Lives Matter, all of a sudden do a complete 180 when the insurrection happened and say, hey, hey, we need to really crack down on these people and the way to do it is via the law and the yeah. police state. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, and, and you kind of even saw it during the protest. Do you remember peaceful protest, peaceful protest? Oh that shit was How horrible. could I forget? They, they, people would rent peaceful protest and then in the next line be like, no justice, no peace. Like, you, mm. you know, you gotta pick a lane there, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, but that, that that's, I guess that's the, the ingenious quality, I guess, is that, and you talk about this in the piece, is that sort of like all of those like expressions of like these kind of like limited expressions of like freedom and expressions of association, like they're kind of couched in this like, again, anti-democratic, like sort of like, I don't know, like like little silo where you are able to go out on the street and do these things, but that doesn't mean that's going to translate into any political power, you know? Right. But right. but so I want to I know I asked about the DSA thing, but I do want to get back to that in the connection with the fascism, because not only do we have minoritarian rule among like elected Republicans. Right. But we got like these I think you call them like shock troops. Right. Like these militia groups, these far right groups on the ground that are doing things like voter intimidation. Right. That are showing up at anti BLM or anti vast demonstrations. Right. And you're responding to Montag's piece where basically he's talking about how DSA 
and his failure to, I guess, effectively combat the right needs to take back the streets, right? So, like, what is what does that look like? What is the function of these like paramilitary shock troops? You know, part part of the argument that we make is like, what the fuck is the streets? You know, like yeah, yeah, that's another good question. To find, like, like, what the fuck even is the streets, right? Like, it's, good question. it's there are moments, you know. And this is like his whole thing is like we're at war, right? Uh, and the thing that we tried to say was like with war Montag, yeah, war mm-hmm. Montag says we're at war, right? And one of the things that Gramsci says is like, even war isn't war, right? Like war isn't just truth fighting on the battleground, right? It's right. supply lines. It's right. it's you know, um, it's people doing uh, reconnaissance, all these things. And so like, mm. what does what does he mean by, like by the streets, right? Like. I agree that we that we do need some sort of strategic approach to how to combat that, but you know, implicit in this, it's a really weird argument. It's like one, DSA is too close to the Democrats. Um, you know, we need to fight in the streets, and two, we need to sub, we need to uh, save the Democrats, right? We need to yeah, we need to invest the in the we need to invest. It's like this very schizophrenic view because you need. Yeah. I like the way you put it. It's like we need to invest in electoral politics, but at the same time, we need to divest ourselves from the Democratic Party, right? And those that's not, that distinction isn't really explained, right? Like how you walk that line, right? Right. Ooh. And like, what what is that political tendency? I wonder. Because, like, <laughs> most of the people I know doing, like, Antifa shit are, like, very much against uh, electoral politics of any kind. They think, at best, it's, like, an incredibly tangential and circuitous way to build uh, the kind of class power we need for revolution. Uh, and then the people doing uh, electoral shit, at least in DSA, a lot of them are very, very scared to be even like associated with anything resembling a, a paramilitary group. You know, <laughs> these like Antifa super soldiers that uh, the right is always talking about. So like what what tendency, what politics are these? Like what tendency are we even talking about? The, the people who are like we have to divest from the Democratic Party, but also ensure that people have fair and free access to elections. Those people, is that the tendency you're asking about? Oh, well, you just said that he, like, says on the one hand, we need to do more street shit, which, you know, I agree with, uh, especially after seeing the way that uh, DSA was really caught on the back foot by this uprising and had really no clue how to relate to it or support Mm. it. Uh, And on the other hand, he's like, but we need to do some some like elections. We need to do some party stuff. Or maybe I'm misinterpreting him because I didn't actually read his piece. No, I I think that is what's happening. And and it's just confusing because it's it's a little bit schizophrenic, like like, uh, Aaron said, right? Like Mm. on the one hand, he's really concerned that people about voter intimidation, right? That people are not that they don't have a right. They're they're not um, being allowed. Which is to, fair, to be clear. Which is absolutely fair um, and and real, right? Um, you know, I think one of the things that like leftists and liberals would agree on that is that we need a bunch of voting rights reforms. I, I think that's not controversial. Mm. But w- what's weird is that. He then says we need to divest from electoral politics, right? Yeah. So, like, why do we need to protect people's, you know, voting rights if we need to divest from electoral politics, right? Like, what is happening here? What is the argument that's being made here? And doesn't um, even talk about like kind of like building a working workers' party 
to like, you know what I'm saying, to legitimize those elections, right? Or to like at least like make people feel like I don't want to fuck with electoralism, be like, okay, this is worth it, right? Because we actually have like a vibrant workers' party, right? Instead of relying right. on the Democrats. You know? or, or even like say like there's an argument that say like say for instance what I believe it's like yes we need to be doing that and also be doing things in the street. It's like or, or we need to do we yes electoral politics because it's something to contest, but also. All these, all these other venues like direct action yeah. must be something that be done, but it's not really consistent. Both and, I mean, look, to get back to DSA, one of the mm. things that initially appealed to me about it was they were just doing a bunch of shit, right? Like, there were a lot of contradictions. The tent was too big. A lot of the time, stuff might not make sense together, but we were just trying. DSA was trying things, and I was like, okay, I can join a working group and work on, I don't know, I can do, like, an anti-ice demonstration, and I never have to do electoral shit if I don't want to, and that's fine. Uh, and that is still one thing I kind of like about DSA, although I've become, like, more and more disillusioned with it, especially in the wake yeah. of the of the uprising mm -hmm. uh so i guess i don't know maybe that's like my counterpoint maybe maybe he's right about that maybe we should just be trying everything or maybe there are some things that don't really go together yeah or well, bring it marvin in that context then to jamie's to frame jamie's uh to ask a question and frame what jamie just said then then what is dsa at least doing right in terms of you could see the workings of some sort of workers party Right. What is DSA doing? Especially use uh, New York City DSA as an example. Right. Which I think has mm -hmm. the most members out of any chapter in the country. Right. Right. Um, you know, I feel I, I feel I, I'm taking I think Jamie's criticism really I think it's really correct. And part of it is mm -hmm. because I think I'm resp we're responding to Warren Montag, who we think basically a lot of the things he says about DSA are just like not true. They're just mm. not factual, right? They're like, like I'm not even talking ideology. They, he, it's it's very clear to me that Warren Montag does not understand DSA, which is like something that's very common mm. yeah. um, amongst like, sorry, like older uh, militants from the '70s who love writing this these think pieces on like what uh -huh. DSA should be doing, or just people uh, who like aren't a part of DSA. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so part of it is like, I think I, I, no I, investigation, I, but speak <laughs> exactly no investigation, no right to speak. No mm -hmm. investigation. Right. To speak, right? Like, um, so I think that like we bent the stick to like, I think we were like, this is everything that DSA is doing right. And um, we, we kind of give people impression that like we're, we're DSA optimist, mm -hmm. which is like not really the case you know, I think. I think part of it, what we're saying is like DSA to us is like the only kind of force in society right now that we can kind of see presenting a, a different form of politics that isn't this kind of authoritarian, um, you know, at the very least, uh, authoritarian collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. At the very least. Um, Will, will that succeed? Probably not. Like, we're pretty pessimistic about DSA's <laughs> ability to do that. Yeah. And it's not because of DSA. It, it's because it's really difficult. Like, the, the, the task yeah. before us is monumental. It's historic, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think where DSA is doing something right is that it has understood that its role is to... Uh, organize the class, but not just as a class, but as a political power, right? Mm. Um, and by that I mean uh, an organization that 
can hold it's it's not like the democrats right like the Demo- the democratic party is not a party it's a it's a kind this of a exclusive club of failed sons and daughters that's what i say but yeah exactly there's there's no there's no there's no program there's no criteria no. there's nothing right like dsa is in the process both nationally and locally at the last convention we we voted on a program finally of of trying to construct a program uh, that it can then move people to represent that program, right? And to hold them accountable when when, when they're not doing that, right? Mm. Um, and there has been some successes in that. Um, more than I think I, than, than any time in the last like kind of 60 years, right? Mm. Um, definitely better than the last attempt, which is the Labor Party. Um, but it's not perfect. You know, there's a lot of problems in it, right? Like there's a problem, a lot of problems with accountability. You see that with like, you know, Bowman, right? Like with, yeah. We, yeah. like the DSA is still struggling with these questions of how to form itself as a, as not just a, not as a political power, but a political power that actually is, you know, uh, represents the working class. So, uh, so, yeah. so, so a question I have is like, you know, say, say, it's like, say you take everything you're saying about DSA. Now, let's say somebody comes here. I'm imagining someone who's like, and say, who, who is an organized member of the left, but is in a smaller, uh, what you could maybe probably deem as a cadre organization, a much smaller knit group of people, but are very much ideologically consistent. What would you say to question that? It's a common uh, criticism of DSA. It's like, well, because there's so much ideological, uh, there's no real agreement ideologically in DSA aside from just very specific strategies, and even then, there's disagreement with regards to those strategies. How can you claim to then be able to be engaging in mass in mass politics hmm. in a very in a in a in a manner that is uh, competent and efficient? And coherent, they, too. And, 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 and coherent. Jorge, repping the smaller, more ideologically coherent orgs. Hell Love yeah. to see it. I have another question where I'm going to rep the ultra side, but <laughs> yeah. that's for after this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, that again, what, what we're talking about here is a very specific political problem, right? The, con- the conjuncture, right? Like the political problematic of our time, this is what structures so much of our conflict, right? Is essentially the fact that there is no real representation of, of, of people in politics, right? At any level, right? Uh, this manifests self as, as right-wing populism, just as it manifests as kind of, you know, uh, the Bernie Sanders movement, right? The reason people storm the Capitol, you know, there's definitely, I agree with Jamie, uh, definitely a lot of elements in it. Um, some opportunistic, the Republican Party definitely opportunistic as fuck and, and understands how to play this moment. Um, and, and, you know, props to the Republican Party who understands, like, how to interact with its base way better than the Democrats. Oh, dude, Party. I like, say it all like, the time. The Democrats hate their constituents and their base uh-huh. way more. I mean, they just hate people, yeah. but way the more Re- than Republicans well, hate their constituents. It, it, the Republicans have, are afraid of their base. Yeah, they're they afraid. Something, they have something that the Democrats don't, which is white identity politics, mm. which has shown it throughout history to be a very powerful glue in a kind of cross-class alliance 
that is never good. It's never good when that yeah. happens, yeah. when you see workers allying with bosses. Well, I would say there's a little wrench in that for the Republican Party, because I think this past election, they had significant gains among people of color who are working class. Yeah, like I think Trump Big doubled. Big up to Hispanics. Yeah. What, what? Yeah, and black well, people too, white, man. They doubled They doubled their turnout for Trump, I think. Uh, yeah, whiteness is a historically malleable category. It we is. know this. It is. It is. So, you know, I mean, maybe that's not right. the only thing that's going on. But yeah, it, mm-hmm. do, so, it does seem like a powerful glue. So we're talking, so we're just talking about the reasons that we we feel like we just, we're, we're, we're we're dancing the same dance, right? It's over and over again. It takes new forms. We haven't been able to like start a, a, a new prop. We can't engage with new problems because we're all always dancing the same old dances, right? Mm. And, and at the root of it is just that there is no real democracy um, at, in a very substantive sense, right? Uh, there, there's formal democracy, but there's no democracy that can represent um the, the the certain classes, right? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's what we're talking about when we're when we're engaging with this, and and I think we do kind of sidestep the question of, of socialism a little bit, right? Because part part of like the argument is here, like we are so not even ready to like be socialist because we're such a backwards fucking country (laughs) that like we are we haven't even entered the 19th century we are still stuck (laughs) in the 18th century that's pretty wild that's pretty wild yeah in 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 the political world of a fucking aristotle like a planter class and like you know a a merchant you know like that's our that's our actual political system so 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 what we're saying is like we have to we have to enter not even the 21st century. We have to enter the 20th century, right? So you're saying the problem is building a left, that a socialist left, that's the problem, not building socialism. I think, I think one of the problems is building a working class, right? Yeah. Um, wow. And, 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 and for that is like, you know, I was used to be a member of Emerge, right? Um, and the reason Emerge is called Emerge is because we were... For, for those who don't know, Emerge is a caucus in New York City DSA of which myself and Jamie and Marvin have been a part of. So there, there the, you know, the, the, when we were around, the big caucus was Bread and Roses, right? Uh, and one of the things Bread and Roses, they love this poem, I forgot. Um, some English guy, so I don't really remember. You know, fuck the Brits. But yeah, it goes that's already like, problematic. Um, right. It goes like, you know, rise like sleepy lions, right, um, from your slumber. That yeah. is kind of the that's the the emotional world that they're coming in, right? We need the the working class needs to rise from its slumber yeah. and, and embrace its you it's know true destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Yes, the, exactly. The, the, it's a powerful idea and vision. Yeah. Well, yeah. like very so many motivating, very beautiful. I I'm inspired by it. I think it is fundamentally fucking wrong. Like yeah, the working, that's like the working. Why do go, you no, think ahead, it's Marvin. wrong? I'll say why I think it's wrong. Because I think that the working class only exists at the level of structure, right? It exists in the sense that there are classes um, that 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 are funneled, right? That are created in class fractures. But there is no working class as a political subject. The working class as a political subject doesn't just exist. It has to be made. It has to come into being. It has to emerge. It has to be right? forged See, through struggle. Exactly, right. man. That's not and, like, and, like, and, like unions, right? That's, right? that's like sort of adjacent to what I was going to say, but not really, mm-hmm. which and, is to say, well, go on. Part of what, what we're saying is that like one of the reasons that like 
um, you know, putting putting the there's never been a revolution in an industrial country, right? So putting aside um, the Bolsheviks and, and other kind of um, countries that were able to sidestep the question of mass parties for, I think, um, very specific reasons that we can get into about combined and uneven development, whatever. Um, I think part of what, what's happening and we're saying is like, we, we're, we, the United States has purposefully constructed its whole democratic order around preventing exactly the emergence of a working class political subject, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and part of that, that's why we have the structures that we have, so that the working class cannot understand itself as a political subject with shared interests. That's a, well, that's, then, yeah. then follow up, what were people doing when they were smashing up cop cars and burning down police stations. Well, those are like, individuals. It's yes, but a, a, certainly a fraction of the proletariat, at least, is very much aware of what's going on. Very pissed off, uh, but like perhaps lacks any kind of organization that would help carry them through from uh, from uprising to uprising, but. It kind of leads into something that I wanted to ask you about, which was, uh, you know, about the George Floyd uprising or whatever we want to call it, because there is a picture at the top of your article of the uh, Minneapolis precinct, which was burned down by some heroic proletarians. This was a multiracial, black-led proletarian uprising. Um, friend of mine did a talk the other day. He pointed out that the majority of felony charges were uh, black people and the second most felony charges were white people. So this was, I mean, you know, part of that is the cops are just racist, but I think uh, uh, part of part of it is uh, it's real. We got to take this as, uh, as, as some good data. Um, and there were many different viewpoints on this uprising. So, you know, on the one hand, there are people who say, it failed to produce any lasting mass movement to abolish or even reduce funding to the police. And it succeeded at producing this like law and order backlash, which you described very well in your piece. Um, and these are people who understand politics one way, right? Mostly on the level of policy and polls and whatnot. Um, but, you know, there are also those who say that it showed us a glimpse of what it might actually look like and how we might actually abolish the police and with it the bourgeois state, which is to say uh, become ungovernable and get them to give up and run away. So do you agree with either of these viewpoints? Uh, what do you think came out of it? Do you have anything confusing to add? Hmm. I... I I am very sympathetic to a lot of that stuff. I guess I don't need a glimpse of how to do this. Like, I'm a real believer, right? Like, I, I have been a communist for 20 years now. I've been a communist longer than I've not been a communist. I, I believe that the working class can do this. I know that they can. Um, and it's good to see it. I think it's good for other people to see the, the strength of the working class. Um, and, and for and the working is, class to see their own strength, too. Yeah, absolutely, right? I think that's... But, it, but what's at stake is here is the working class being able to reproduce that strength, yeah. you know, at, purposefully and intentionally. Um, so 
I think that like that's what's at stake for 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 kind of when I say that the working class doesn't exist. Like obviously there are working class people. Obviously there are working class um, struggles, hmm. but there is no there is no uh, there is no way for uh, the working class right now to intentionally coalesce around its its strength, right? And and this is not just a matter of disorganization, right? This is some this is a condition. This yeah. has been orchestrated. Um, you know when when you know when I think it was it was Sweden, right? Like uh, they tried to uh, abolish abortion. There was a general strike. It was over, right? Um, why is that? You know, why is that not possible in the U.S.? Part of what we need to like kind of get away from is like kind of culturalist explanations of things, right? The Americans are just built different, right? I don't think that's uh, that's true, right? There, there, there are specific conditions um, to why we we just don't we don't do things like that, and it's not permanent, right? I'm not, it's not inflexible. I think part of the, the, the inspiring things of, of Occupy, uh, you know, there is, we live in a, in a series of very inspiring moments that have led to us systematically getting a little bit better about our organization, right? Uh, the, the world trade, um, sorry, the, the anti-globalization protests, the Iraq war protests, uh, Occupy, the Bernie Sanders movement, mm -hmm. this uprising. We, we are slowly kind of coalescing around the need for organization and, and all that jazz, but what's really at stake is like, let's, let's all right, let's do it again, right? And let's be able to say we're gonna do it again right now. Yeah. Um, that's something that, 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 that feels unthinkable to me right now in the US, but it's actually not unthinkable anywhere else, not anywhere else, in a lot of places in the world, right? Like when, when there was a coup in Bolivia, uh, MAS, did it they were like all right we are calling a strike right. we're gonna we're gonna shut right. things down and they did it they forced um, an election exactly yeah. so that's what i mean by that there is no there is no working class as a political subject to just rise right like yeah. we have to actually construct it so, and we have to construct it um at first through kind of some sense of a mass party because in other places around the world they've had that experience right they've had the experience they have the history of a mass party and now maybe they can do i think uh, a, a lot more creative things around i think you know to that actually are fights for socialism so but absolutely the u.s wait, doesn't uh, have that experience wait can so, i so, can i just i just want to throw i just want to say something real quick too i know exactly what you're um you're talking about Marvin, in terms of their, the working class doesn't exist, it's because, like, although there are factions in the ruling class, obviously, although there are competing economic interests, right, in different spheres of the economy, they, like, can form, like, Voltron, right, towards one common goal when it is necessary, and they continue to do that, right? The working, working class people don't recognize themselves as a class of people. It's one thing to say that working class people recognize, like, you know, like, not just that their lives suck, but why? they suck, right, where they can point out identifiable enemies, but to recognize themselves as a class of people, right, with a certain political project or motivation, right, I don't think it's there yet. And two, I wanted to add in that, like, it's kind of like, it's kind of funny in Europe where, like, literally, like, people that were, like, you know, serfs, right, under feudalism, right, their, and their, their descendants, right, went to go working in factories, you know? There was, like, this, co there was this, uh, I guess, coalescing and, and, like, rising of, like, like political rights and economic rights, at least, right? Where in the United States, like that didn't really exist. Like that didn't happen, you know? The United States was sort of like this kind of like um, 
post, I guess, monarchism, right? And that sort of like that sort of government. And it was just like, no, this is like a liberal bourgeois democracy where you have the the formal democracy, right, of rights, right, and voting, right, that are enshrined, but not the economic part. And you're right, we're still in like we need to get to the 20th century, right? We're not even there yet with that sort of class consciousness can be directed and funneled into like like coherent political action, right? Or a party rather, right? Yeah. We've never so, had so, a labor party. Yeah, yeah we've never I, had a labor party, exactly. Does does a political action always have to start out as coherent or is it possible that uh, people will figure it out in the course of struggle? Like, does it have to be Oh, we are intentionally trying to abolish the police and do communism, or could it be like going from one place to another as people are transformed? I think it's both, right? Like I think people obviously get 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 politicized by spontaneous movements of like kind of upheaval, right? Mm. But there has to it has to coalesce. Uh, if it is going to be organized, if it is going to grow, it does has to coalesce at some point, right? I don't think, you know. And I often think we, you do need that level of spontaneity, right? Because, like, if you see ever, like, a, a, a collective, like, we're the 10, you know, we're revolutionaries or 10 people, we're going to, like, that never works, right? It, <laughs> it does need, there does need to be a level of spontaneity of, um, of like, just, like, organic resistance to mm. uh, the bullshit, right? Mm. But I think that it, it does need to coalesce. Um, and I will say, I guess, because I feel like because of the way that we frame this, um, it seems like I'm an electoralist, right? And it seems that like, I was gonna ask about that, yeah. Well, which, which is not the case, right? Like, because I, I think the, I think one of the ways to read this is like, first you build the part, um, first you build the class. Real, real, Marvin, real quick, what union are you the president of? I am part of the. I am uh, a member. I'm a proud member of the Campaign Workers Guild, which, by the way, we put out a statement uh, saying uh, a while ago during the George um, Floyd protest that police unions don't belong in the labor movement and that Go the off. They're not the working class. Should Hell disaffiliate. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell so, yeah. Heck yeah. So, you know, I'm not an elect. I'm not an. Uh, I believe in electoral work. I think electoral work is no different than labor work, no different than like uh, popular uprisings, mutual aid. Like this is all part of the struggle that we do to build the class. Mm. Um, not one is any more like uh, authentic than the other, right? These are the forms of struggle that are available to us and we have to kind of um, use all of them. And we actually have to use all of them. I think if, if I critique one of the things about DSA is that like, it hasn't done that. Like it's it's mm. like it's like one of those people that like only lifts one arm, right? Or or the guy who d who skips leg day. That's what yeah. DSA is, right? Yeah, yeah. Like DSA you gotta. Is you, like a, you, yeah, like you, you. If you don't work out those other muscles, they'll atrophy, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? That is true. And the electoral stuff does tend to take over where it is yeah. present because. Uh, I mean, a lot of different reasons, right? There are a lot of people joining who are basically still liberals, finding their way. Uh, it's also just like easier to measure your successes and your failures. It's like a lot more quantifiable than something more uh, long-term and boring. But um, 
Right, you, I was going to say an election lasts what you know maybe like well not not a presidential which lasts oh those last years. like two years oh, yeah people, yeah people can it sign on to it like like you know it's like oh I'm taking a dance class this semester you know right. and then it's over and they almost engage with it kind of like consumers which is its own problem but mm. um but what yeah, I was going to say was I feel like the reason why I'm skeptical of electoral politics as a tactic. Uh, it's because ultimately we want to destroy the bourgeois state, right? Uh, and guess what? Its legitimacy is waning. A lot of fucking people do not vote, and a lot of working class people do not vote. That is the single biggest predictor of whether or not someone's going to vote, is their socioeconomic status. So given that fact, isn't it sort of circuitous to, okay, first we have to get working class people to buy into this and believe that this is going to change anything if you vote for Bernie Sanders. And then afterwards, after, you know, maybe they level up a little, we're like, just kidding. Actually, that's only an intermediary step now. We have to destroy this. Like, mm. it feels a lot less direct to me than, okay, we got to do insurrection and the leftists, the organized left to the degree that there is one is going to be there to support the workers who are smarter than us in many instances and already know what to do um, and help them out in sort of a, in a give and take kind of model. Because I'm not against the party in general as a concept, but I feel like maybe it means something a little bit different to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you said a lot of things. I'm trying to wrap my head around. Well, I think, I think, I think, oh, I think what she's Jamie on the other foot. I think what friend. Jamie was saying is that, and I'm commenting on that too. But I'm going to you to answer first, Marvin, because obviously she directed it to you. But I think what Jamie was saying is that, on the one hand, like you know, like we want to. We want to, uh, if, if electoralism is just one tool in the toolbox, right, and um, outside of just like electoral politics, right, um, if we're going to use it as a tool um, uh, where and strategize and use it where it's most advantageous to tell working people that, okay, participate in this bullshit that you already know is bullshit, right, but participate in it and then later down the road kind of retract and be like, actually, our project is more encompassing than just electoral politics. And we may very well need to just discard this completely instead of, as I think Jamie is saying, approaching people with, you know this is bullshit, I know it's bullshit, right? Don't even worry about the electoral, electoral politics. Let's organize our communities, let's organize our workplaces. Is that kind of what you were saying, Jamie? Yeah, and just like, you know, obviously I know the working class is not a monolith, it's got, uh, lots of different fractions, which is another thing I wanted to ask about, you know, uh, uh, like specifically in the black proletariat, we can we see many different fractions from like basically revolutionary already to, um, you know, maybe working class, but a little more middle class and mm -hmm. vote for Eric Adams, mm -hmm. which was like an important voting block for him. Um, how do we cohere that? But like, yeah, what was I getting at? Oh, yeah. Just like how, what if the party was sort of a, a network dedicated to, you know, some of the stuff that DSA does already, polyed, direct action, but also like really hooked in to, um, to what's going on on the ground, whether these are people who are part of an organization or not, and um, where, where these things explode. Um, you know, we need to be there and we need to be helping and not standing in the way and telling people not to riot or whatever, like a lot of uh, a lot of libs did during the uprising. You know, 
rioting is good. I want to be very clear here. Mm-hmm. Riot. Um, I, I do want to say, like, I want to contest something that you said immediately, right? It's like on the ground, right? To me, that's no different than in the streets. Like, I don't know what you're talking well, about, that, right? That is know? a physical place. The, Where the, shit is happening. The election, the elect, the, but the canvassing is on the ground. The canvassing is on the ground. Going to the going to the ballot box is on the ground, right? Like well, this, you are maybe you don't mean to, but like you are introducing this distinction that I don't think actually has a difference. Um, so th- I don't I don't think that there is anything more real to the canvassing that is happening than you know workers talking to each other. As someone who is both a labor sure. leader and works in electoral like work, and who also works in like internationalism, structurally they all seem very much the same to me. Poor choice that, that, of words on my part. But but I think but it does you refl- know what I meant. I think it reflects. I do think it reflects a tendency that does see electoral work as less real right mm-hmm. as less um as I less think it's real i'm just very skeptical of it i, I think that that for me I, i'm not telling people for, there's a lot of things you said right i think i the fact that the the, the 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 legitimacy of this democracy is waning to me is is more scary than than not right part of what we described here uh, what in this text was the way that a uh, authoritarian rule that's like could c- kind of last on, on on the backs of like this sort of disengagement, right? Like there's nothing in, in, in my analysis that leads me to believe that the next step of like the depoliticization of our class is, is um, you know, an insurrection, right? If anything, it is entirely possible that that leads to just the type of anti, the type of like authoritarian uh, democracy that the Republican Party is building, right? Mm. So sure about that? May, maybe it's an insurrection, right? But that's a gamble. Like that is a big gamble. And I don't think that like I am skeptical of that. I don't think there's nothing, there's no reason what, that I think I, I should, like we should advocate that type of gamble, right? Well, it's not like, I mean, the delegitimization is happening no matter what we do. So the question is, do we try to re-legitimize a system that we are trying to overthrow only so we can overthrow it later? Or do we try to work with that and ride that wave? I mean, we've seen all kinds of shit, not just the uprising. We've seen um, like uh, giant uh, prison strikes happen in this country. Uh, We've seen, I mean, all over the world, shit's been happening, right? They basically overthrew the government in Kazakhstan. I just learned about that. Right, but that's not here. Sure, sure. But, you know, I like to, I'm an internationalist. I like to make connections between things that are happening in different places. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, we could keep it to the U.S. if, if, if you want to. Um, I've, seen, I've seen plenty. I don't know. And that is like a, it is a wager. But it's also, like, probably not going to be up to us regardless. But uh, can, I, can I add something, too, I've been thinking about, too? Uh, I think... I think, too, to, like, clarify, when I think of, like, the left or the working class, first of all, left is even a term where I'm like, I don't even know, like, you might disagree with this, Marvin, but sometimes I get so pessimistic where I'm like, I don't even know if you could say, you say working class doesn't exist. I don't even know if you could say a left exists in this country, right? I don't think the that's the case. does not exist in this It country. doesn't exist, I, right? I but actually I think, said that on the NPC. Yeah, yeah. That's something, I think that's something we all agree on. Yeah, that's something we all agree on. But, like, to your point, kind of, Jamie, too, where what if, like, 
like when I talk to my mom, for example, who's like a 60 plus year old Jamaican woman, like she like voted for Bernie Sanders in the 2016 primary. She voted for Biden mm-hmm. in 2020. But she is on board. Shout out to Aaron's mom. Shout out to my mom who made me a hammer and sickle mask for Christmas. She's not a communist. She's just humors Aww. me. Right. But my, my thing is, like, when I talk to her about these ideas, like I think about people like her that I'm not going to be knocking on the doors or in the workplaces and telling them, like, yo, we need to, like, overthrow the government. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not something that, like, like. I wish I could do that. And I think that maybe if my mom drank and we got really, really like talking one night and I like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe if she knocked back a couple, like probably she would say some shit like that. But generally speaking, like people are not thinking on that level. Right. Like, I mean, for a host of different reasons. Right. And Jamie, I know you're not uh, you're not talking about like romantic or romanticizing like revolutionary violence or anything. But I do think there's a case to be made of like meeting people where they're at. Right. And like, well, whether it's individuals or like the working classes exist, right? Okay, this is another question that I was going to ask, which is... I feel is, like I'm backed up. I have what? like three questions backed yeah. up that I have. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue. 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 Aaron's talking about meeting people where they're at. I go back and forth about how important it is for us to like make the case intellectually and persuade people and win them over versus uh, other ways of winning. Jamie, that sounds very authoritarian of you. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing more authoritarian than a revolution. (laughs) That's right. I'm fine with being authoritarian towards the bourgeoisie. You know this. So I, you know, as someone who works in on elections, I definitely do know that persuasion works, right? Like there's, there's, it does work. Um, I, I personally, that's not how I relate to people, right? Like I, I relate to people through solidarity, right? I, I think I, I'm less interested in in convincing people uh, that there's that they have strength as like a like a work like a let's say we're in a union. I've left strength like I'm not interested in being like this is why the the union makes us strong, right? What I would do is like if someone has a problem, then I throw down with them, right? Um, I think I think that I'm less I think people overly um, you know, important size like debate, right? Like I think people who are like cadre members of an organization can have strategic debates that are important. But I, I think it's more important to have solidarity with, you know, members of your class than trying to persuade them of something. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's that's in my experience. Uh, I think you know I, I don't really have that debate me bro kind of relationship to things. I mean, I will, I love debate, oh, obviously. Mm-hmm. I do love debating people, but that's not how I relate to building. Like I said at the beginning of this, like for it's me, just that's not for fun. That's not how, yeah, <laughs> that's not how it. I relate to ideological struggle, right? Ideological <laughs> struggle is, again, it's not about giving people answers. It's about making them change the way they see problems. So it sounds like, in, in that sense, like at the very core of what this mean, of, of what this term I'm about to say means, like it sounds like you are a vanguardist ultimately. You know, I because I, because because the idea behind Vanguard is not necessarily trying to like for people to do, rather just like trying to meet people where they're at and then try to given what people's emotions and like specific concrete issues are, trying to then, like you said, be solid, solidarity with them. Mm. 
You know, I think to answer it circuitously, I think Aaron earlier said, I don't know how to say that word. I'm sorry. Circuitously. In a circle. Charcuterie. Charcuterie. Let's do charcuterie discourse in the bottom. As I said at the beginning, I am a Muslim. I will not be partaking in this. Indeed. There was this thing of like, why, you know, isn't it kind of disingenuous to be like, get these people to go on with this project and then mm. being like, JK, we're doing something else, right? Mm. Um, I guess that's not how I see it, right? And I think, I forget where Lenin talks about, like how as long as people believe in the parliamentary system, then you have to partake in it. But you don't partake in it disingenuously, right? You partake in it um, full-heartedly, making it work, trying to make it work, because they will only become revolutionaries when, when they've actually done that work and seen of their own volition that it doesn't work, right? Oh, yeah, right. exactly, exactly. So, so there's nothing to yeah. lose here. If yeah. it does work, right, if we are wrong that there's actually a way of doing democratic reform, then win. If it's not, we've done the process to get people there. Well, what and, we and this lose is, and this is, is our energy, not, right? Because we have a limited amount of revolutionaries and a limited amount of resources. But go on. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. But, the, but, this, is, but this is the thing. This is how we build people who believe in revolutionary ideals. Um, I mean, and I think this is where I'm not a stagist, right? Like, I'm not saying build the class, build the party, build socialism, right? I'm saying we need to get to a certain place uh, where we can even start thinking about different problems and I can't even imagine what they are, right? Mm. Like, I, I can't see what I think if we get to this place, it's not like, oh, and now we do what the UK did in the 20th century, right? Mm -hmm. I think... What, what comes next is unthinkable to me, right? Like, it, because the resolution of these problems are so... The definition unique, of historic. Right. Like, so, it, it, would it would create a whole new set of conditions that I don't think we can have a blueprint to. The only thing that we can do is have our class as organized and prepared as possible. Um, so, so, I don't... And that's where I don't believe in an electoral road to socialism. I'm not... I'm not pessimistic about it either. Like, if it happens, it happens. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, then like, let's build our class enough that we are strong enough to to um, to partake in in, in non-electoral um, parts. But as long as people do believe in electoral politics, like Lenin said, we have to partake in it, uh, and that is how you form people politically, right? It's not enough to do community work. I'm sorry, like the, the capitalist class will will uh, will divide you, right? You have mm -hmm. to form as a political entity, right? This is this is something that that has been kind of the the belief of Marxists for, of all stripes for a while, from Gramsci to Althusser uh, to Stuart Hall, right? Like, you part of part of forming yourself as a class um, is is orienting yourself politically, and orienting yourself politically is forming a party mm. um, in some sense. Uh, that doesn't mean electoral politics, right? Uh, a party does a shit ton of other stuff that's electoral politics, and DSA does not do that well enough. But it doesn't. Al it also doesn't mean uh, be abstentionist either. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, well, some Marxists would disagree with that point of view, and perhaps we will do an episode on the dialogue between uh, my girl Rosa Yo, and I gotta, we gotta boy read the Lennon. Moon book. The moon book. Yes. Hashtag read the moon. I mean, mm -hmm. I wasn't even gonna mention the moon book, but. Uh, it definitely has like seeped into my brain in various interesting ways after initially really not liking it. I'm talking about, of course, uh, the eclipse and reemergence of the communist movement in the 20th century. I think I got the title right by Gilles Dauvet. Mm -hmm. But um, 
That is definitely a topic for another day because yeah. we are almost out of time. I think really quickly to kind of reflect on what I was saying, Jamie, like I don't understand the left composition here, right? Like if these things kind of happen spontaneous. Whoa, whoa. No one said left comp. The moon, book, the, the moon book position here, right? <laughs> if these things kind of happen spontaneously, if people are already doing these things, like I guess what's the, what's the harm of of organization, right? Like, it, sure, it's oh, not what's going to happen. I think but I agree. We need organization. I just think it might be look very different than what we're seeing now with DSA. Mm. I, I'm uh, yeah, and I think I'm totally open that DSA is not the thing, right? I, I'm actually pretty pessimistic that it'll succeed. Um, it is the thing that I see um, in this moment, right? But the thing is, the conjuncture rearranges itself, right? It can. It can be something else completely in a few years. Absolutely. Even, even by next year, because yeah, it's looking like there's going to be pretty significant economic crisis yeah. that's like looming. Yeah. History right. and, and, is happening, folks. We are definitely in one of those weeks where decades happen. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, too, like, uh, you know, I think, too, that, you know, Jamie, we, we've talked about this before. And actually... Marvin, you talk about it in your piece, but you talk about it as a feature of Republicans in the right, um, this mimicry that they do, right? This sort of like being able to kind of um, a mimic and adapt, right? And I think that what, I mean, you know, the optimistic kind of outlook, I guess, is that, Jamie, you've talked about this before, that you see that happening on the left too, right? You see the tactics that are used during the uprising, you see that replicated in different cities, right? And I mean, for and all over the world, all over the world, right, rather, right? And I mean, the, 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 the thing that I'm hopeful about is that we'll continue to see not just that kind of mimicry, but sort of this like elevation at a higher level, you know? So even though, yes, I agree, Jamie, our resources are totally, we don't have limitless resources, but it feels like everything that the capitalist class is trying to do to suppress this shit only galvanizes more people to become revolutionaries or, you know, if we don't seize this moment of like conjuncture or fascist, right? Yeah. Or well, something like that, I guess. Think about the increasing size of surplus populations in this country mm. who have everything to gain and very little to lose mm. by trying to overthrow I the mean, system. I mean, to be fair, a million of them died. Oh, yeah, a million of them did. Yeah, yeah, COVID, Jesus. It, uh, yeah, yeah, that fucking sucks. Because the majority um, of those people were people from the working class. Oh, they, they, totally were. they totally were. There and are, line cooks you know, and people of color. There are, yeah. Uh, true, but you know, there's still a lot of them and <laughs> still a lot of people. people, there's a lot of workers. There's a lot of, uh, underemployed workers. There mm -hmm. are a lot of, uh, lumpen proletarians, uh, engaged in informal economies. There are a lot of incarcerated people. And that number is only going to continue to rise as the prison industrial complex expands. And I think, you know, these folks are activated in many instances and they know shit is fucked and what is missing is um yeah resources and some kind of organization that'll help keep people going from one struggle to the next um mm -hmm. and keep escalating from one struggle to the next so you know the next time something happens it starts back up at the highest level that it was before exactly. and i mean i have fa i have faith in people i have faith in the proletariat of this country i have faith in we uh, wouldn't be doing this comrades. podcast if we if we didn't have faith in people yeah, yeah. On, on, and like 
not everybody's gonna gonna rise up, but you know, it doesn't take an entire population to overthrow a government. Yeah. On that note, uh, what's the last thing you want you want people who are listening, who are still listening at this point, uh, who would would want you want them to take away given given this essay, if to one sell it, but then also the more most important thing you want people to get, take away. Yeah, what's the TLDR? Mm-hmm. I think I think what what I would say is like don't don't fetishize any form of political struggle right um there are times where we're gonna have to beat the shit out of fascists in the streets like yeah go get fucking you know go, yeah. go to the gym go start running <laughs> like yeah. i'm sorry we will need to throw down we need solitariates right? Like, yeah right um don't tell people oh if you you know if you don't like the 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 violence you see go vote no yeah. right like you know join a labor union join a tenant organization um there, there is so much to be done that there's nothing to be gained from fetishizing any particular terrain as like the authentic terrain where the struggle is happening. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, well, yeah. where, can people, where can people find you, Marvin? Um, I'm not supposed to tweet anymore because I'm a union <laughs> president. <laughs> and that gets me All right. in trouble. No worries. But, That's a cool um, problem. Uh yeah, so yeah. you can you can find me. Well, if you if you know you know. Yeah, well we'll also we'll also uh, add in your uh, obviously a link in the show notes to your uh, essay, so people can not just read that but follow you. Uh, and um, I mean Medium, I guess is what it's on, but the, you know in case you write anything else. So right, yeah. anything you want to plug aside from the essay? Uh. Join the International Committee. I actually, most of my work, you know, in DSA has not been electorally focused. Um, It's been on building international solidarity, uh, and I'm really proud of it. So if you are a DSA member, uh, join the International Committee, um, because we're dope. And if you're not a DSA member, still join the International Committee. Yeah, yeah. Become I, uh, a DSA member to join the International Committee. I, um, I think my primary plug is for just like doing anything doing these it, days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Jorge, um, uh, you encouraged me to uh, join the International Committee. Uh, even though oh, yeah. uh, I don't do shit in my chapter, which is a whole different story uh, in Atlanta. But um, yeah, I, I agree with those sentiments. Uh, DSA, uh, not, not, not perfect, uh, but. Uh, uh, something is there you know so people right. should uh yeah all right well thank you so much for joining us marvin it was a, it was, yeah. it was a pleasure yeah, speaking with you all thank you for Thanks, coming man. on thank and you until ne- go for it sorry i stepped on your line oh my god i'm the worst um i was just gonna say i think this <laughs> is the first group interview that we've all done together yeah and that's nice yeah it and it was it was good yeah it was i think it was pretty good y'all let us know Wait, can i can, can i do one last plug yeah please um, Please invite me back to do cultural Marxism. I have on so many thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, we, Dude. man, we, we were well, gonna, well, well, we'll see, we'll see. I we'll really see. To, to, to see the, the listeners, stay tuned. We'll also, see. Marvin, we'll wait, let you know. Last thing I have to ask, Marvin. Uh, I, I think maybe Jamie and Jorge, you told me that. Uh, are you into Star Trek? 
Uh, yes, uh, I, I take very controversial I take very controversial positions on Star Trek. I got <laughs> shit faced recently and was like, "Look, here's a terrorist. We just gotta accept." Oh yeah, of course she's a terrorist, but that's fine. They're freedom fighters, man. Um, look, uh, we'll 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 say less. We'll uh, you'll have to right. come back for cultural Marxism on Trek uh, Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. Right. We'll see if it happens. But until okay. next time, everyone. <laughs> until next time, do the reading. Do the reading. Do the reading. Bye. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction, how's that function? I got three favorite cards that get most of my job done. Conjunction, junction, what's their function? I got and, button, or, they'll get you pretty far. And, that's an additive, like this and that. Or the opposite, not this, but that. And then there's or, O-R. When you have a choice like this or that. And but more, get you pretty far. Conjunction, junction, what's your...